want to learn how to manage your own investments? Are you ready to stop paying investment management fees and start building wealth? The DIY Investing Podcast is dedicated to providing you with the knowledge, skills, and resources you need to be a better investor. Learn how to make investments through the use of fundamental analysis, mental models, and business management insights. Now, here's your host, value investing expert, Trey Henninger. Hello and welcome to the DIY Investing Podcast. My name is Trey Henniger and I'm your host. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast to get more great investing content. If you're listening on YouTube, hit the like button on this video. And if you're listening on any other platform, your five-star rating and review are a great way to support the show. Thank you for your support. Let's dive on into today's episode. I'm still trying to decide what to title this episode. My first thought is to call it something like NACO stock postmortem. Postmortem is the discussion of what you have learned of an investment after you have finished making that investment. Things you did well, things you did poorly, was it a mistake, was it a correct decision, those sorts of things. Um, there's plenty of other things I could call it. I, you know, stuff like I've sold NACO and here's why, or many different ideas, but I think the main concept here is I want to spend today's podcast talking about the company NACO, um, North American Coal Company, and the stock purchases that I made and the recent stock sales that I made, which has led to me completely exiting my position in NACO. The purpose of this podcast is to provide you an example of how I think you should assess your investments when you have completed an investment. And so at the end of every investment, I think it's important to sit down and reflect, to think about what went wrong, what went right, to really discuss a postmortem. A postmortem is this idea of mortem referring to death so post death what caught what was the cause of death what what led to potential failure so when you're doing an investment before you buy i recommend you do a pre-mortem where you evaluate if this investment were to fail what would cause it and now since i have sold naco stock i'm going to do a post-mortem because i sold why did i sell um what went wrong, what went right. And so we're going to look backwards now after the investment. And I think when you combine a pre-mortem and a post-mortem, it allows you to improve your investment over time or improve your investment process over time. And when you iterate through this on multiple occasions, if you do this on each and every investment that you make, you're going to learn, you're going to improve faster than your peers that don't do this. And I think ultimately you'll end up much wealthier in the long run. So what's the kind of framework that I'm going to approach this? I think you can do this in different ways. Um, but I think the first thing to do is to be very clear about the timeline. So I'm going to discuss the timeline of my purchases and sales, discuss the prices, what I was thinking, and then we're also going to have some, I'll, I'll follow up with some thoughts and what my lessons learned were. 
the key point here is, is you want to make sure that you document what you've learned so that you can make better decisions. Now, NACO, I've been I've been thinking about doing this podcast for a bit now. Um, you'll hear in a minute. I, I sold my my last shares of NACO in May of 2021. It's now June. And when you listen to this, it might be the end of June. It might be the beginning of July. I don't know exactly when I'm going to release this episode. But I've been spending some time thinking about it. I'm not making this episode the day after I sell my stock because I think it's important to take time and reflect. So that's something I would also encourage you to do when you sell a stock and you finally exit a position for the last time. What is it that you're doing you need to have some immediate thoughts like, why did you do that? It's good to document that when you actually make the decision. But I think it's also good to take some time, think about it, reflect, write it down, and and give time for absorption to really understand. And so I've done that. I think I have some ideas of what I've learned from this investment, and I hope you'll find it valuable. Some of you I know have, have been aware that I've been a shareholder of NACO for some time. Some of you aren't. Either way, I think this is is mainly intended as a process improvement exercise that I hope you use as an example for yourself. So now that I've framed our podcast, now that I've talked about that, let's go through the timeline. So NACO was, they spun off Hamilton Beach Brands, which is a kitchen appliance company in September 2017. I first bought my shares in March 2018 at a price of $40 per share. I then averaged down by buying additional shares in May and June of 2018 with the shares at prices of $34 per share. I continued averaging down in September 2018 at $32 per share and October 2018 at $29 per share. So by this time, through purchases at 40, 34, 32, and 29, I've successfully lowered my stock basis over the course of about a six-month period. Um, and that, that's really developed the core of my position during 2018, which was about three years ago now. So my, my holding period at, at the longest was about 38 months, and some shares were bought more recently. Um, but you're talking about, in general, about a three-year holding period for NACO for me. So within a year, the stock doubled to over 600 or to, double to over $65 per share in October 2018. Again, I bought shares as low as $29 per share. And that's the recent peak. So the, the stock peaked in October 2019, and yet it's substantially lower today in June of 2021, around $27, $28 per share. And There's a lot that I've learned from that. So instead of selling when the stock doubled, I held. And I held because I valued the company at $75 per share at the time. It wasn't yet at fair value. Now, it was substantially closer to fair value. And this is where a lot of my learnings are going to come into play is why didn't I sell? Should I have sold? Am I using hindsight bias to sell I've sold? And so you'll hear more of that discussion. But let's continue through the timeline. So Again, it it peaked at over $65 per share in October 2019. In May and June of 2020, I averaged down again at $26 per share, and then $22 and $24 per share. Those were my last 
purchases of NACO, which was in May and June of 2020. Um, and the stock had crashed to a large degree for a couple of reasons. Um, they had announced potential closure of their Falkirk mine. And also this was in the middle of the coronavirus epidemic. Um, and we're the peak scare times. And so I saw opportunities to buy stock in that range, which I thought was a substantially discount. Again, I still thought the company was valued in that you know, $60, $75 range. So it was, you're talking two to three times what the stock price was. Now, in March 2021, it was when I first really recognized that I think that holding NACO was going to be a large opportunity cost in my portfolio. By the time March 2021 had come around, it wasn't that NACO was any substantially worse than when I bought it before, but it was that my opportunity set had improved substantially. I now had much better stock ideas. I was investing in companies that had very high long-term potential, and I didn't feel that NACO had the same potential. So I began to shift some of my money to other stocks while the stock was around $24 to $25 per share. So that would meant I reduced my NACO exposure and shifted some of that exposure into other companies with substantially higher opportunities. So that was in March 2021. And in May 2021, I exited my state completely at a loss around $25 to $26 per share. So for today's podcast, I'm not going to discuss absolute dollar values. I, I never discuss that on the podcast, and I'm not going to discuss specific percentages on these positions because I don't think it's helpful for discussing my thoughts and lessons learned. Ultimately, the pr exact price I so bought and sold at doesn't make a difference here for um, the key learnings that I had because the learnings are process related. They're not necessarily price related. But some lots were sold at a gain and some were sold at a loss. So overall, the position, which was held for about three years, uh, some of the shares only held for about one year. But basically, your average position holding time was between two to three years, um, resulted in a, a net loss. But on a longer, on a bigger impact was that it was a bigger loss on an opportunity cost basis. So well, I lost some money and it wasn't a lot of money on the position because of my ability to average down over time. The key here is the opportunity cost. So that's really what I'm going to be focusing on today. So let's talk about what, what in some ways could be hindsight bias. But when I'm thinking through this investment, the thing that looks very clear looking back in hindsight is this time frame in October 2019 the stock price had doubled in about a year and sitting here today in 2021 I think I should have sold or trimmed after the stock doubled now this isn't pure hindsight bias regardless of how it might sound I talked about um with some, some peers in private about considering trimming the position. I thought heavily about trimming the position or selling it or selling half the position at $65 per share, especially once it hit $60. It wasn't about 65 specifically. But when the price doubled and I had a very quick gain on the position, I was thinking about reducing my exposure because 
Again, I take 20% positions in my portfolio, so it doubled basically to a 40% position. Not all the way, because there's some changes in the rest of the portfolio, but by reducing it by half, I could have brought the exposure down and basically banked my cost bases. So why didn't I do that? It's not about should I have done that, because what really matters is why. Why did I make the decisions that I did, and is there something I can learn from that? Again, the purpose of a postmortem is not to say, how did, how would I have maximized my return? You're not trying to say, oh, well, I bought it this date, and if I sold right on this date at this price, I would have maximized my return. That's not helpful. Because if it's not based upon a process decision, if it's not based upon a deviation from my investing rules, then it's not a true learning. It's not helpful to me. But when I sit here and I think about it, a few things come to mind. First and foremost, $65 per share was within my error margin for my $75 fair value estimate. So at the time, I was thinking through the mindset that I think the company is worth $75 per share. Maybe on the upside, it's worth $90 per share. So maybe I can sell somewhere between $75 and $90 per share. But my base case was $75 per share, which means that a bear case should have included $65 per share as within the margin range for what an estimate of fair value was. And I was too focused on selling at 100% of fair value when I should have been recognizing that I can't estimate the future perfectly. And just because I estimated a $75 fair value doesn't mean that that is the true fair value for the company. It could be lower. And I wasn't taking into account all the probabilities of what could happen. I think another piece here is it was easy when I'm looking at this that I was thinking this, oh, there's a massive momentum in the company. You know, it's doubled in a year. In a couple months, maybe it'll hit $75 and I can sell. So I had I'd kind of like anchored myself to this level instead of thinking rationally through the evaluation. The second piece here is I think that there's a piece of investing that is art, not science. So the science idea would be is that you can somehow in a formulaic method precisely describe what you should do in every situation. You can have rules to define everything you need to do. And, and I don't think that's accurate. I think rules can help you and they guide you. They're good guidelines. But there's times where investors' intuition comes into play. If you have a bad feeling about an investment, you need to listen to that. If you're uneasy holding an investment, you need to listen to that. And what I was seeing in this investment is at the time, I started thinking I needed to trim, but I didn't. And I think that's a key for me. I need to learn better to trust my intuition. If there's a piece of me that's saying this company is at too high of an allocation to your portfolio, this company has risen too far too quickly, even though I wasn't putting it in those words, there was some part of me that was recognizing that. And that intuition should have been, I should have dug deeper and said, okay, well, why do I think this? Why do I think this? Am I right? Is my $75 fair value estimate right? And so I need to learn more to recognize those internal signs so that when I have an opportunity that's presented to me. So 
I should be able to take it or take some sort of advantage of it. I'm not saying I should have sold all of it. I'm not saying I should have sold half of it. I don't know. Um, It's hard to evaluate from hindsight bias purely. But what I do know is I had the feeling that I should do something other than simply hold. But what I did was simply hold. And I was waiting for it to hit exactly my fair value. And so I think that's part of this idea is that intrinsic value estimates are estimates. They're uncertain. They're not a specific number, but instead they're a range. And what I look at now and what I understand now is that when NACO hit my $65 per share number, it was within the range of my fair value estimates, which would have ranged from $60 to $90 per share, which means that I should have considered at least trimming some of the position to reduce my cost basis and reduce my potential opportunity cost. So why didn't I do that? I've talked a little bit about it, but why else wouldn't I do it? And I think the main reason I didn't sell was because I would have had to sit in cash. So when I'm thinking about what happened was at this time in October 2019, I did not have another good idea. NACO was my best idea. It was my best stock. It was my largest position. And everything else in my portfolio was not a high conviction investment. At that time, I didn't have an idea that I felt the money could have instantly gone from selling NACO and being put into the new idea. I would have had to sit in cash for a while. And so when I'm balancing, do I sit in cash or do I sit in this company that I think has has more room to run? I sat with the company that had more to run. Now, many people would say, well, that's following, you know, let your winners run. Don't trim your winners. Don't, you know, don't interrupt compounding. And so I think I was following the dogma instead of understanding the logic of that. I didn't think that NACO was the type of company that was a long-term compounder. When I bought NACO, I was buying it as a three to five year double. When the company doubled in a year, that's better than expected. I should have taken that and treated it more as a cigar butt, uh, a last puff investment, where I take advantage of the volatility to at least liquidate some of the position, reduce my exposure risk. So it's two parts here. It's, It's not handling NACO specifically, but it's also not it's a portfolio management problem because I didn't have a long enough runway of watch list to have many other ideas. So I think what I need to do is always make sure I have a nice backlog of ideas that can allow me to make investments in new companies when I'm given the opportunity. So there should have been a ready second runner-up, third runner-up, fourth runner-up where I could take some money and put it to work. And I didn't have that. And because I didn't have that, I ended up having a bigger problem with NACO than I otherwise would have. And this was because what I had recognized at the time with NACO was that my biggest mistakes are often made when I'm in cash or when I would be creating cash positions. So I need to always be doing research on new ideas. I need to always make sure I have that strong watch list because I do make mistakes with cash and I do make mistakes when I'm just sitting in cash, but I make fewer mistakes when I have really strong positions in my portfolio. So I think that's a key area I wanted to address because when you look at it with hindsight bias, with full knowledge of the past, that one really 
leaps out at you. And it's it's not that I simply didn't think to sell then, and now I am. I did think to sell then. I had talked about it. I had contemplated it, but I chose not to. So now we go on to kind of the more standard postmortem things where we're going to look more of a pure process method and, and less of a price consideration. I think the price was important because I hadn't planned to hold NACO for 10 to 20 years. It was always a three to five year investment. And so the idea that it could have been a one year investment that doubled instead of a three year investment that lost a little bit of money is a little irksome. And it's something that I need to be aware of because I need to clearly separate companies that are compounders from companies that are more cigar butt. So First key question I want to ask myself, which I like to, which I think is helpful for any investment you're making, is was buying NACO in the first place a mistake? And for here, my answer is no, I don't think so. My theory was sound. So I expected positive news from NACO and I thought it was cheap at $40 per share. It was the best idea I had at the time and I was also running a diversified 10 to 15 portfolio stock portfolio when I bought NACO in 2018. So my overall theory was sound and it was the best idea I had. And I was also expecting short-term momentum due to positive news. So I had a very nice alignment between strong thesis, cheap price, and short-term momentum in my favor. I had a diversified portfolio. So if I was wrong, I was set up well to handle that. And I was able to handle that, the short-term volatility that went down in price because of that diversified portfolio. Secondly, my thesis was correct. So I ended up being very correct that there was going to be short-term positive news that could lead to an improved stock price. Now, I was buying over a target three to five-year period, but I, but I was okay with you know short-term momentum that would grow in a positive thing. But the key problem that happened was I had thesis creep. So as the positive news flow came out, so I predicted positive news, but when it was released, I changed my value estimate. So my original valuation that I placed on the stock was that the stock was worth between 50 and $65 per share. So I was buying it at 40 and it was worth between 50 and $65 per share. But when the positive news came out, I upped my estimate because there was high natural gas income that I hadn't expected. And so news came out, the stock price rose from $30 to $60, doubling from where, you know, broadly where my um, cost basis was. And I didn't sell because the news itself changed my thesis and said, no, now the company's worth even more. Versus what I should have done is said, okay, I've achieved my original thesis. There was some positive news that I expected, but I didn't know exactly what it might be in terms of how valuable it could be. And I really shouldn't have allowed thesis creep to occur. And if I did, it needed to be very clear what was happening, that I was allowing my thesis to creep, and also that because the thesis was creeping, I should reduce the position sizing. It's not that the position was a bad position. It's not that it was a bad idea. It was good news. It was following. There was a higher income than expected. But it meant that the business was now being invested as if it was more like a compounder and less like a cigar butt. So 
I had thought it was a three to five year whole business. It should have been sized more in terms of position sizing as a cigar butt. And when that puff came, I should have sold. So I don't think it was a mistake to buy in the first place, but I think how I managed it over the first year was a mistake. So the next question that I think you should ask for any investment you make is, did you accurately assess the business model quality? So did I accurately assess NACO's business model quality? And I'd say yes. NACO's service model of earning money from unconsolidated subsidiaries allows it to earn high returns on capital as the customer, the utility company, puts up all of the capital for the business. That is a very good business. It's a great business model, and it's an amazing business model when you compare it to the average coal company's business model. So I accurately assessed NACO's business model quality, and that never changed through the entirety of my holding period. So the losses that I experienced did not come because I misassessed business model quality. That's important. Next question, did I accurately assess the durability of the business? So did I accurately assess NACO's business durability? And here is the first big no. Um, this is this is a no for me because I misestimated the likelihood of a coal mine closure. So when I bought NACO, the theory was that the company was cheap enough that one coal mine could close and it would still be fairly valued even after the mine closed. Was that correct? Yes, I think that's correct. If one of the one of their key mines, one of their top three mines closed, I thought the company would still be fairly valued at its current price in the mid-30s range even after that occurred. However, more than one mine ended up closing during my holding period or was announced as a closure. And so not only did, was the Falkirk mine announced as a closure, you had two additional mines announced as closures, maybe three at this point, um, such that you had two to four mines announced as closure during my three-year holding period. Now, they haven't had the negative impact on their earnings to the point that would justify the decline in price. I do think the price decline has been overdone compared to the actual impact to the business. However, I had put in my thesis that I expected one of the mines to prematurely close, and I gave too much credence to the agreements that they had with the utility companies. I didn't expect the utility companies to prematurely close the power plant and thus prematurely cancel the contracts. So I gave a little bit too much credence to those actual contracts. And even though I did accurately assess that there would be coal mine closures that were likely, um, and I predicted the degree to which they would harm the business, because again, the harm to the actual business is much less than the market thinks it is. I way underestimated the, the degree to which NACO's stock would decline. So I thought the decline was overdone. Um, but it's very key here that I misestimated the durability of this business. And that's something for me to learn from. So the next question that I think is important you want to ask for each investment that you make is, did I accurately assess management and capital allocation? So this is a partial yes and partial no. I like NACO's management. Um, 
in some ways, and there's other ways that I think that they could improve. And I think certainly they have improved in their communication to shareholders over the course of my holding period. So let's break them down into items. I accurately predicted that management would not dedicate new capital to new coal mines. Now, this is very important for my thesis. My entire thesis was based upon this idea that NACO is making a lot of free cash flow. You were talking about a free cash flow yield in the double digits easily, but usually over 20% per share. Um, and so, because the price was at like five times earnings at times, um, five to six to seven times earnings. And so, I predicted that management would not put any of that cash into new coal mines. Correct. That was very important. It was the top most important idea of the capital location that had to work for my thesis to work out. And it was right. Um, the next piece, I accurately predicted that free cash flow would be used to grow their North American coal mining, uh, North America mining business, which is limestone and um, lithium now. And what was the third one? They just added one. Um, I can't remember exactly what it is, uh, but they recently announced a third mineral that they're working on. But basically, I th they weren't going to put the money into coal, and they were going to put it into limestone and the rest of their American mining business that was non-coal. So that was also correct. I accurately assessed that part of the capital allocation. Again, very important. They're taking it out of a declining business with no durability, and they're putting it into a business that has very long-term durability. Limestone has incredibly long durability. There's no likelihood that limestone is going to stop being used in the United States anytime in the next 50 years. And they were putting it into, and now they've also put money into lithium, which I didn't predict specifically, but is still part of that same business. And that also has extremely long durability as well. However, what did I get wrong? I underestimated the maintenance capex needed for their one consolidated coal mine. So I said that their business model is mostly unconsolidated mines. That's true. They, um, I think it was like seven to nine unconsolidated mines that they mine. However, they have one mine that they are responsible for the costs. And that mine was more expensive than I estimated for the years of my holding period. Now, that's very important. In the future, basically from this point where I've sold on, they estimate that the maintenance capex is going to be much lower than it was during the three years I've held it. Um, but that's not going to help me because I'm no longer a shareholder. Um, so... I was wrong on the maintenance capex that impacted the degree to which they could quickly turn over the business. If that had just been timed at a different location, I think they would have turned the business around a little faster, but they've had to put too much money into the coal mine to keep it going. Now, this is the, apparently the last major time they're going to have to do this, but it was just so much money that it ruined the pace at which I thought the business would turn into a new style business. The second piece that's important here, though, is although I was right about where management would put their money and that they wouldn't put it into the bad business, I underestimated the return on invested capital of the new money put into the North American mining business. I expected higher returns and faster returns from the cash outlay. This is a company that's put in putting tens of millions of dollars into signing up new mining customers, 
um, purchasing equipment for those customers, growing this business, and we just have not seen the level of profitability that I would expect fast enough. They've put a lot of money into this business. I think it is set up for a lot of future success. I actually really like the limestone mining business that they're in. I really like the lithium business that they're getting into. Um, I think the business model of NACO X Coal is really good. And it's a company that I'd love to own if I could just buy that piece. Um, but I think you have some problems here. Basically, it's taken longer to hit critical mass where they hit profitability. I expected faster profitability and I expected more operating leverage than I've seen. So they have operating leverage. I just haven't seen it yet. Um, they have tur started turning a profit, but it's not been the degree to which I would have wanted. And some of the limestone businesses are consolidated and I would have preferred them to all be unconsolidated. The difference being that consolidated means that NACO pays the expenses. Unconsolidated means that the customer pays the expenses. So let's review those questions for a second. Was buying NACO a mistake in the first place? No. Did I accurately assess the business quality? Yes. Did I accurately assess the durability? No. And did I accurately assess management and capital allocation? Partial yes, partial no. So mixed bag here. Um, this is not an A in terms of my thesis. Um, you might have said so if I sold the stock in a year and been like, oh, this is a great win. But I don't think I would have learned what I've learned. And so I think Certainly, I have gained a lot from being investing in NACO for this time period. I've learned a lot, and it's been a very helpful investment that I think will pay many dividends for me down the road. But we're at about a 50% success rate on the thesis. So let's dive into specific lessons learned. Um, less discussion of some of the decisions, and let's talk just the lessons learned. So first and foremost... Don't buy companies that lack durability and really make sure you understand the durability. So a mistake on durability could mean that a very low PE is justified. I made a mistake on NACO's durability. And when I was sitting there in March and May of this year, thinking about should I be owning NACO? The question I kept turning in my head was this company is trading at single digit PEs. It's trading for five, seven, eight times PE, but I could not get out of my head that maybe it deserves to. If the company is not durable, if the earnings are not durable, what that means is that as the coal mine declines, you could have earnings decline or stay the same for a long period of time. So right now their earnings power is probably four to five dollars per share. It's actually really strong, but they're trying to replace that with from coal with the new lithium and limestone business. But it might take 10 years for those businesses to match the earnings power of the coal mine. So it might be 10 years from now and NACO might still have four to five dollars per share in earnings power. That might be too pessimistic. I don't know. I mean, I'm just selling or I just sold. So it's, it's hard to think too clearly, but I just couldn't get out of my head that maybe a PE of five is rational. And if a PE of five is rational, then it's not the business I want to be owning. So another thing I've learned is I've really learned about my personal investing style. 
And this is really important. People might discount this and say, oh, that's not as much of a learning. Like, But it's very important for your process to understand what clicks with you on an investment. And what I have learned is I highly prefer buying steady growth companies. I want to buy a company that's growing 5, 10, 15, 20% a year every year. And they grow every year. They're not growing some years and declining other years. They're not cyclical. They don't deal with commodities. I want steady growth companies. They don't need to be a 20% grower, but I want at least a 5% growth every year. I want the idea of 30 straight years of sales growth. That sounds wonderful. That's what I want to buy. That's what I want to find. So NACO's taught me that I don't like buying companies that are declining. I don't like holding companies that are declining. It's difficult for me psychologically to manage that, especially at the size of the portfolio that I have. So when I bought NACO initially, I was running a 10 to 15 stock portfolio. By the time I sold NACO, I was running a five stock portfolio. So that's a huge difference in the level of concentration. And there's no place in a five stock portfolio for a company like NACO because NACO doesn't have the steady growth opportunity and it's more of a cigar butt investment than a steady compounder. So like specifically, I didn't like the constant negative news, the constant bad news reports while I owned it. And the primary problem was that the entire time I owned NACO, I thought it was undervalued. When I sold NACO, I thought it was undervalued. And the main issue there was the opportunity cost of how that money could have grown with other better companies. And so I really need to understand when I'm buying a new company, what is the opportunity cost? Am I going to be happy still owning this in three to five years? I thought I would be with NACO. Um, And I held it for three years and it just was not the experience I thought it was. And again, we're not talking about stock price here. We're talking about business performance. The business performance was not what I expected. So my actual losses weren't that high. Some of my purchases in NACO made a profit. This isn't about NACO being a loser because of the amount of money I lost. That's not relevant here. NACO was a loser because of the business performance for me. During my holding period, the business underperformed. The business is worse today than the day I bought it. Now, management might tell you differently on that. And I think there's a large degree that you could say that. And, and, and some of you might say that yourself um, who, have may, who maybe own the company. But when I look at their business, it is weaker today than it was three years ago. And what I've learned it really is that process of turning one cost, one profit center coal into a new profit center North America mining is slow and costly. It's basically a turnaround, even though it's a, diversi- a diversification effort. And I don't really like turnarounds. So that leads me to my next point. I don't want to own turnaround situations until after they've been turned around. I think NACO could be an amazing company to own in 10 years or 15 years or five years. Once the coal mining business is less than 10% of their profits, maybe less than 20% of their profits, and you just have one mine and runoff, I think it could be a really interesting business because it's a business that can grow without new capital being put into it, and they produce a lot of free cash flow. But until then, 
I think it might be dead money. And again, it's not dead money necessarily from a stock price perspective. I'm not predicting their stock price. It could do amazing over the next year. could do amazing over the next five years. I just think from a business standpoint, you're going to tread water for a few years. And the other companies I have in my opportunity set are, are much better. Another learning is that management is critical. I want a management team that I believe is fully aligned with me on skin in the game. And here I'm looking at skin in the game. It's not that I think that NACO has a bad management. I think NACO has a good management team, but they don't run the company how I would run the company. And I think part of that is that I don't think they have the skin in the game that I want to see. Again, it's not that management, NACO's management is making bad decisions. I don't think so. I think they're actually doing a great job diversifying the company. I just think that they're not fully aligned with shareholders. They receive regular ongoing stock options and issuance, which dilutes me as a shareholder. When I go and check insider purchases um, on NACO, instead of seeing buys periodically and sells periodically, what I see is stock issuance all the time, at least once a year, sometimes maybe it's twice a year, I can't remember, but you fairly regularly have this long list of directors, long list of people who are receiving a lot of stock issuance. And I think it's like 10, 11, 12 people all on the same day um, on a periodic basis are receiving a bunch of stock. And they're not buying in between them. The stock's gone up, the stock's gone down, the stock's gone to really cheap prices. Um, uh, management says that you know they think the stock is cheap and then it's there's no purchases behind that so i don't think that there's full skin in the game and alignment with me as a shareholder again i think they're pretty good at their job i just don't think that they have the skin in the game that i want to see so it's not a good fit for me but clearly is for some people there's also not a lot of insider buying and i want share buybacks on a company like this, and, and I didn't see them. They talked a lot about share buybacks, how they, they have done it in the past, and yet they didn't do it when I thought it was very attractive. Um, I don't fully understand why, which is totally fine, but if I were assessing NACO today, knowing what I know now, while I still believe it's cheap, I don't think it would pass my current management and capital allocation filter. So when I'm buying a company, I want it to have three key things. I want it to be a strong compounding business, high quality business. Number two, I want it to have a really good price, cheap price. And number three, I want it to have the right management and capital allocation. And I think it would fail the capital allocation. Um, and this was not a part of my process three years ago. Um, but I've added it to my process since owning NACO, and I think today it would stop me from buying at NACO. Maybe that'll change in the next five to 10 years. Um, but it's why I sold NACO, is I didn't think that it matched with my current process. My last major learning here is be wary of thesis creep. So NACO would have been one of my best success stories if I simply sold it at 60 plus dollars per share. It would have been a quick double. It would have been a lot of money for my portfolio as it was a 20% position at the time of initiation. Instead, I allowed my thesis to creep, which resulted in NACO being a drag on my performance for years two and three of my holding period. Um, my investment returns in 2019 and 2020 would have been substantially better. Um, no, 
I could say it better. My return performance in 2020 and 2021 would have been substantially better than they already are because I, I beat the S&P 500 during those two years. But it would have been substantially better if I hadn't owned NACO. NACO has been a drag on my performance. And it's not for year two, that was because it was declining a lot during 2021. It wasn't declining a lot. It was just stagnant and, and, and a little bit of decline. But if I didn't own it and I had that money in other investments, which were performing substantially better, and again, they're performing better on a business standpoint, not just price. Their businesses have a lot of momentum. That would have really improved my overall performance because I wouldn't have been stuck holding a company that isn't a long-term hold based upon the current setup of the business. It might be in 10 years. It's going to stay on my watch list. I really like the company. You're still going to probably see me commenting on it online at times because I think it's an interesting company. But I no longer own NACO and it doesn't meet the current requirements of my portfolio. So in summary, what do I want to do? I want to buy and hold high quality, durable businesses that are growing and are selling at a cheap price. NACO had a cheap price and was high quality, but it was low durability and had no growth. I just touched on the capital management, capital allocation piece. I don't think the capital allocation and the skin in the game really match with that third leg of my portfolio. Going forward, I plan to be much more diligent at filtering out ideas that don't meet all of my stringent criteria. My highly stringent criteria. As of this recording and after selling NACO, I own three stocks and I'm trying to grow that back to five. I had thought of holding NACO until I found a fourth and fifth stock to buy um, to replace it, but I decided to not make my same mistake again and to sell because it no longer fit my thesis, it no longer fit my current investment process, and therefore I should not hold it in my portfolio. I hope this has been a helpful discussion for you today. As I close out, I want to just finally reiterate the purpose of this discussion. I have been self-reflecting on my investment for a month. These are my thoughts of self-reflection, and I'm sharing them not necessarily for the specifics, but as a guidepost for you to improve your investment process. I hope you'll take this as inspiration that when you sell an investment, that you perform a post-mortem. You think about what your lessons learned are. You write them down. And if you're brave, you publish them and open yourself to the feedback, which I fully expect I will receive after the publishing of this podcast. Thank you for listening. The full show notes for this episode, including my outline for today's show, are available at doyinvesting.org slash episode 118. If you'd like to support the show as a patron, consider donating to diyinvesting.org slash patron. Your financial support allows me to continue producing this content without any advertisements. Thank you for listening. And until next time, stop paying fees, start building wealth. Thank you for listening to the DIY Investing Podcast. Please visit our website and subscribe to our email list at DIYinvesting.org for guides, videos, and resources to help make you a better investor.
The DIY Investing Podcast is presented for general informational and entertainment purposes only. I have not considered your specific situation or risk profile, and I have not provided investment advice. The information presented on the DIY Investing Podcast should not be construed as investment advice. The views and opinions expressed on the DIY Investing Podcast are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect those of the show's host or sponsors. DIY Investing, its producers, sponsors, and host, Trey Henniger, shall not be liable for losses resulting from investment decisions based upon information or viewpoints presented on the DIY Investing Podcast.